welcome to the Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners podcast. You will hear about industry insights with award-winning financial planner and entrepreneur, Jason Pereira. Through the interviews with different experts with their stories and advice, you will learn how you can navigate the challenges of being an entrepreneur, plan for success, and make the most of your business and life. And now, your host, Jason Pereira. Hello, welcome to Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. Thank you for joining me. Just a reminder to sign up for my newsletter at jasonprayer.ca where you'll receive notice of all my podcasts, newsletters, whatever else I might be up to. So on to today's show. Today on the show, I have Sheldon Burr, mortgage broker. And I brought him in to specifically talk about how mortgage lending and just debt in general works differently for business owners than it does the average consumer and look for some guidance and tips on how to make your life easier as a business owner when you need to apply for debt. And with that, here's my interview with Sheldon. Sheldon, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Jason. My pleasure. So, Sheldon Burrow, tell us about what it is you do. Well, I broker mortgages. I'm able to shop across more than 30 different lenders and many, many different types of products for both uh, personal and business lending. Mm -hmm. And there's many, many different kinds of interest rates and many, many different kinds of products. So we just try to make it so that we can search everywhere at once and basically act like an Expedia of finance for clients on the lending side. Excellent. So you're independent, not tied to any one major bank. And as you said, 30 different lenders. So yes, there's the first myth to debunk for people early in entrepreneurship. There's more than five banks to go to. <laughs> Sorry, six. I always forget about national. All right. So the process of applying for debt in general, when you start a business, people aren't really familiar with what that looks like. I actually had someone field the question to me the other day saying, okay, well, if I gave the bank $250,000, how much would they give me? And I said, well, they put it in a bank account and they give you a line of credit for $250,000. And he's like, I don't get it. So I'd have 500. I'm like, no, you'd have $250,000. They'd use the, the cash as security. And very confused by the entire concept because everybody is typically used to the world of I'm going to go buy a house and I'm going to basically put down a fraction of the down payment and then they're going to give me the rest of the money, right? And that's the normal course of action because essentially the house is security, whereas business lending, you may not may or may not have security. So we'll talk about debt for businesses in general in a second, but let's start with mortgages, which are more conventional. So business owners have a harder time getting mortgages in general than other people. Can you speak to as to why that is? Well, business is a lot more complex. I mean, there's different industries, so it's very much dependent on the industry. You're very right when you say that people don't necessarily understand lending, especially when they're just coming into the business world and they come from a conventional world of borrowing personally. A lot of people just think you need a good credit score, and that's a huge misconception that I constantly have to coach to. And you know, hey, That doesn't hurt, but that's not all you need. Yeah, it's great to have. It's important to have, but it's definitely not the end all and be all. Debt service ratio is the second biggest one in personal. But then when it comes to business, there's a whole other plethora of variables. And again, it depends on your industry, whether you're going to lend to somebody that's a dentist or somebody that owns a restaurant, which there's a lot more risk and can have a more fluctuating month to month revenue. It's a totally different ballgame. So it's very subjective. There's a lot more variables and you know, you have to have somebody that much better understands your situation and your business than somebody would have to go into a, a real depth of understanding of personal lending. Yeah. I mean, it's often frustrating for many because essentially they really do treat business owners as a separate beast altogether because they take the time to try to understand everything they can about that business. 
for fear that the quote unquote business goes under or whatever it is. However, the, you know, I've fired back on more than one occasion. Apparently bankers seem to think that people who take T4 income never lose their job. <laughs> and, and somehow I would actually argue that, you know, especially in successful business owners, successful businesses, the business owner is probably the safest employee of that business, yet banks don't treat them that way. Well, that's actually a really interesting point that you make because that is kind of the way they look at it. We always have politicians and even banks advertising about, oh, you know, business owners and entrepreneurs of the backbone of society and whatever else. And if you have somebody that's a business owner or an entrepreneur, in my opinion, this is somebody that has a lot of tenacity, that has a lot of grit, that has uh, a lot of creativity and ingenuity in the way they'll approach things, especially if they've been doing business for any period of time, whether it's 5, 10, 15, 20 years, and still the treatment that you'll see with people that have even been with their banks for 30 years with 25 years of self-employment still get an incredible amount of scrutiny. So that scrutiny never really seems to go away. If you have like maybe a private wealth relationship, you might get a little bit of uh, extra leeway at times, but even then it might not do a lot for you. So, you know, there's a ton of, uh, of scrutiny that they're always showing the business owners that I think it's just exactly the way you explained it doesn't always make a lot of sense where it's looked at as this huge additional risk as opposed to somebody that just has a corporate salary job that can be laid off at any time. Yeah, exactly. Ironically, uh, they will actually, if you own a restaurant, it's harder to get a mortgage than it is for your restaurant manager. <laughs> so it's kind of kind of ironic and kind of ridiculous. So basically, talk to me about, first off, let's, let's look at, before we jump into the solving the problem of mortgages and how to apply for them as a business owner, talk to me about independent mortgage brokers and why someone should opt to go with that versus just talking to their, their normal bank. Well, the first thing I'll say in regards to that is it always comes down to the person. You've got amazing people sometimes within banks uh, and some people that shouldn't work there. And you've got amazing people that are mortgage brokers and some people that shouldn't be there. The biggest thing I'll say is that you don't want somebody that's transactional. You want somebody that wants to build a long-term relationship for you. Why brokers are better in every aspect of finance, in my opinion, is because they're not just given the kind of tunnel vision of what is appropriate at that bank. Every different bank has different appetites. And when you obviously are employed at a bank, you're only given that training. I came from two major banks over 15 years, and it was a world of change when I went from one big bank to the other. It was like everything was being turned upside down. The conventional parts, the five C's of lending uh, kind of always remain the same, but the way that they look at different industries or different businesses, is totally, totally different. So being able to use a broker, if it's a good broker that you can trust, that you can have a long-term relationship with, they're going to be able to provide you not just, okay, we can do it or we cannot. They'll say, well, I've got two or three options for you, totally different products, or maybe the same product at two different lenders, and you're going to be able to get options. And when you have options, you have more intelligent insight as to what might make sense for your business. And sometimes you don't even realize that there's an interesting option that you would want to consider if you have a closer relationship and a closer conversation, rather than if you just heard the surface level detail. So getting access to way more products, way more product knowledge a lot of the time, and those brokers have access to professionals at each bank. So if there's even anything that mortgage broker doesn't know about one of the particular banks, they're able to deal with business development managers, senior underwriters, underwriting managers that are going to give them you know, a deeper insight that they need on any particular file. So it gives you to punchline answer your question, 
way more selection of products and rates and way more insights into long-term strategies. And I would also hope that with people working with a mortgage broker who believes in holistic advice like myself, that they would be working with a professional like yourself who does financial planning or an accountant, because that can make a monster difference when you're dealing with somebody that's not just giving you advice from a bank, but somebody that has an ecosystem around them of other financial professionals. If you've got somebody like yourself, Jason, that's a high net worth client and they deal with, they're setting up a family trust and you can't probably explain that income. I had a client in BC that was a business client that he paid $70,000 extra in interest over five years on his mortgage because the mortgage person that he used at a bank wasn't able to properly explain that strategy. So it's an epic difference. And it's interesting. So a couple of very key points there. I mean, oftentimes people will shop around for their own debt, but then again, I'm always one to believe in outsourcing, especially professionals. And again, we'll go back to the 30 different lenders versus there's no Canadian out there who is in the lending business who can name 30 different lenders. It's just, it's just not something I can't do it. Secondly, your point about having that proper team, and I mean, she's $70,000 more in interest because you couldn't explain the structure, right? What can I say? I've had enough interesting and, and terrible interactions with banks where these people aren't trained on this sort of stuff. They're definitely not trained on stuff like large, expensive corporate structures and, and family trusts and freezes and all that stuff. I mean, I literally sat down with, with someone just to open up accounts who was the business specialist, quote unquote, business specialist, believe it or not. And when I said I need to open an account for a trust, she's like, you mean a corporation? I'm like, no, I mean a trust. And she's like, that, that's a corporation. I'm like, no, it's not. It's a trust. It's something completely different. And then they had to go talk to their supervisor and then you know, say, told me to come back another day when someone else who knew what they were talking about was there. There's a certain level of proficiency they teach you at these places. And unless someone can actually, I mean, that was me. I can actually explain it. Could you imagine if, if, a, if a customer, a business owner went in to basically deal with this and have to explain us all to themselves when they, when they don't truly understand the concept themselves? Frustrating, incredibly frustrating. In well, it's a even, important point that you make that the, the training, and I can tell you from both of the ones that I went to, in the first 30 days or so, you get kind of an interesting spectrum of training, but the vast majority of training at every institution that I have worked for, and, and I believe from you know, all the conversations I've had with colleagues at other big institutions is it's all around sales. And we've seen this in the news four or five years ago, right? When they all came under fire, like you're trained so much more on sales, like dangerously more on sales, other than once you get an anti-money laundering quiz that everybody copies the answers off each other and they're not really becoming experts in that. Um, it's it's really dangerous to only to train somebody on sales. You can still train sales while making sure to give those additional insights that are going to make sure to give full and fair disclosure and good. Yeah, there's there's no there's there's no shortage of examples of how of how poorly these things turn out. All right, so essentially we've established why you would want to deal with a mortgage broker like yourself. So talk to me then about the types of things that you have to do with banks in general, or just best practices that you have for making access to credit easier for business owner clients that you wouldn't have to do for just the average person that is. Yeah. So the, the first thing is just always going. And I think, again, you would understand this better than most because there's a, there is a, what they, we call in the industry, a KYC, know your clients. Um, the first thing, and some people will just do a very surface level one. I know that, you know, I've talked to you in the past and you've shared that you have a, a pretty thorough uh, know your client process because the better you know your client, the better you can advise them now and you don't want to be short-sighted in advice, especially when it comes to financially related things, because the impact can be pretty substantial. So doing that really good, know your clients, interview up front, being able to 
really put together all over the right documents. And the banks, different banks, some are asset-based lenders, meaning that they just want to see the collateral that you're securing it against. Some of them are very focused on cash flow. I recently had a business owner client who, if you looked at his business financials, his net he had a net loss of $105,000 for the year. However, yeah. he had 20 years of monster success in business. And it just so happened that he took a huge withdrawal under his accountant's advice and had an, a great year that year, but it's just they had a strategy in order to pay some income tax and do some other things. So if you're just looking at that surface level, you want to be able to have all your documents and a good explanation and connect the people that's doing your lending with your accountant sometimes because trying to get that information out of clients, clients are not, clients are running a business and they're a specialist at whatever it is that they do. They're not supposed to be lending experts. They're not supposed to be accountants. And the, I think one of the best things you can do is connect them with your financial pros so that you're not trying to give kind of that third wheel information. And then they're trying to convey that over to a bank underwriter. So make sure that you're giving good, honest information on the application, because when I send this information over to the bank, everything will come out in the wash. Everything will surface eventually. I think it was like 13% of Canadians felt like it was okay to tell a little white lie on um, a lending application. Oh, that's called fraud. Yeah. And there's pretty large penalties for fraud. There's been a 52% increase since 2013 on suspicious lending and everything comes to the service. So yeah, don't say on the backdrop of a, of a raging real estate market, how shocking that is to me. Yeah. And in all forms of lending, I mean, I've got business owners that'll conceal. I had one guy who concealed that he had a $40,000 boat loan that he got two days ago. Like it's going to come to the surface. And if it comes to the surface and I've divulged everything and made intelligent notes around it, that's a lot better than... I didn't know about it. I sent it in. I thought it would look great. They find out on their end and like, how come you didn't know this? Then I look silly. The client looks silly. The application doesn't really look like it's something that they really want to pursue fervently anymore. Psychology is a big part of the game in, in underwriting in, with any bank. I mean, you want to, you know, you want to give the underwriter a clear impression that you're trying to be upfront and honest about everything and, and mitigate any risk that they perceive. Yeah, it's interesting. It's a, it's a commonality, not just in underwriting for, I mean, just not just in this space, but also in insurance, right? Like they, the underwriters learn who's telling them the truth and who's trying to pull one over on you, right? So it's, it's a matter of time. They, they build, you build your own reputation with these people. So now that we've talked briefly about mortgages, I mean, those are the more conventional box standard type uh, loans that are easier to get because of course they're collateralized. And they're, they're more common products, even though there's some variability to them. Let's talk about other types of business loans that one would potentially need to look to take out, because I'm sure we all get exposed to some of them as business owners, but not necessarily all of them, depending on the nature of our business. So let's just kind of educate people as to what's out there. Yeah, there could be a lot of different kinds, but I'll stick to kind of some of the main basics ones. And obviously, there's a lot of different purposes. It's not just to necessarily buy a commercial building. It could be just to make an injection into the business because they're growing or they have a great opportunity or they want to buy some equipment. So obviously there'd be the standard kind of small business loan. It comes in a fixed rate, a term. Those are pretty conventional. Most people would understand those. Operating lines of credit is something that a lot of companies will usually want to have. I would say the vast majority of businesses would want to have one if they don't. And those usually come at pretty friendly terms. It's attached to a business account a lot of the time, almost like a very, very large overdraft. Now, to be clear, though, let's just talk about this quickly. In most cases, and 
One of the reasons that people often talk about incorporating is creditor protection. But let's face it, in most of these cases, I'm guessing you're seeing that personal guarantees are required in, uh, unless you have a lot of assets in the business. Is that right? Yeah, you know, that's, that's really become a definitive new standard right across the really? board. Uh, it used to be more, maybe a little bit uh, less often, but it's, it's pretty much you can bet on that 100% of the time now. As usual, the bank wants a chicken if you want to borrow an egg. Okay, so um, so yeah, so lines of credit. What what other what other forms are we looking at? So another interesting one, which when I get into some of the more interesting ones that I'm going to name now, that, that are maybe a little bit higher cost. These are ones that you, while you want to tread carefully around, I wouldn't go as far as to say that they're necessary predatory lending. Uh, different kinds of lending have different kinds of risk allocated to them. And obviously with high risk comes higher interest rates. And sometimes it, it does make sense depending on the purpose and what you're going to use that money for if you're a smart business person. So invoice factoring is one of them. That can be one of the more expensive ones. So and let's explain example, that. What's, what's that mean? So that's one I've actually run into with a lot of businesses where they say, listen, and one of the most common ones I'd say is construction companies. So Anybody that's doing something where they don't get paid, especially when you're dealing with government and other entities that they're going to take maybe 30, 60, 90 days to pay you. You have to put all that money up front. You might not be able to have enough of a large operating business line of credit and you've got to wait to get paid. So then you've you exhausted your entire business line of credit. Now you have to go to someone that does invoice factoring and say, listen, I'll give you 15% of, it's more not based on an amount of time a lot of the time. So if you want to borrow 10,000 from me, you have to pay me back 12,500, for example. It's not going to be an ongoing accumulated interest a lot of the time, sometimes it is, but it's basically give me some money because this customer is not going to pay me for a while. Yeah, so essentially it's just your, you know, it's, it's your discounting the total, the total debt, not giving people access to the full amount and your spread is the, is the profit more or less. Yeah, essentially you're selling your unpaid invoices in exchange for an advance of usually between 60 to 90%. Fair enough, okay. And so that company, that company that bought it will actually off, most often collect the invoice amount from your client mm-hmm. before paying you the remaining percentage minus its fees. I mean, that's relatively common in some industries, right? It is. Yeah. So uh, what else What else do we have on the uh, on the docket here? Uh, what other options? Merchant cash advance. So the, the last two, merchant cash advance and equipment financing. So merchant cash advance means with businesses that accept credit card and debit card payments, let's say you've done you know $10,000 a day in sales that run through your credit card machine. That gets usually deposited with most businesses within 24 hours. So you do your business today. It's settled with Visa and MasterCard. It gets deposited into your business account tomorrow. You can go to your debit machine company and get what's called a merchant cash advance. And that basically means they'll give you, again, at a little bit higher rate. I'd say typically you're probably looking in the range of around or in the vicinity rather of 15%-ish. And they'll give you that money and then they'll take a small percentage out of the money that they're depositing into your account every day as your daily payment. Does that make sense? It, no, it doesn't. In fact, I'm actually interviewing a company that does that on uh, financial planning for Canadian business owners, a company called Payability, which has done that on mass with uh, Amazon purchases and Shopify purchases. So it makes a lot of sense. It's just all you're doing is you're shortening the cash collection cycle, right? Yeah, exactly. And it just makes it so, and you can usually get those pretty quickly. So they can be approved and dispersed pretty quickly. And that's one of the reasons that people like it. And it's just, it's coming out as a percentage of your daily revenue. So it's got what could be considered, you know, some pretty friendly repayment terms in a way. Fantastic. So what else you got for me? (laughs) There's still still plenty more. 
So equipment leasing is a big one. And that's something that the easiest way to put it is that anything with a serial number, most things with a serial number, you can borrow against. The only thing that's a little bit of an issue with that, that we're a little bit behind the states on is uh, solar panels. Really? So there's no borrowing on solar panels? Um, not, not in the same way that they do in the state. They're not going to come and take the solar panels off your house in a repo. So borrowing and leasing on solar panels has been really tough. I've made a billion phone calls about it. I deal with a lot of solar lending and solar companies that send me business. Um, usually we'll try to either get a home equity line of credit or refinance it into the mortgage to make it soft yep. as possible or a solar financing loan. But basically most things with a, with a serial number, you can borrow against it uh, and use that as collateral to to make sure that you can get some type of leasing or borrowing. It's a, I'd say one of the most common is big trucks, construction equipment, stuff like that. You'll see construction companies maybe have a, some type of big piece of, of equipment that they'll borrow against because they have a high value. A lot of the times they're paid off. And those, those I'd say, are, are the most common ones that you'll come across. There's, a, there's other really, really obscure ones, but you know they, they require pretty deep, complex explanation that people would rarely, really ever run into. So those are kind of your main overlying ones for, for self-employed. Excellent. So those are various different forms of lending, but really what it comes down to is it sounds, I mean, it comes down to is if you have assets or if you have money coming to you that is contractually obligated through services, then you're pretty much able to borrow off just about any of that. Is that about right? Yes. And the only other thing I'd mention is that it's really helpful if you have big contracts with big companies. That's something that if you can present that contract and say, listen, I'm not just, yeah, there's some businesses that let's say they're doing 200,000 a year for the last 10 years, that could change at any time. But if it's somebody that has a 10-year contract with the government for contracting services or some other large company that you know is a million or billion dollar company, those can go a long way. But you know, really it boils down to your assets, your invoices that you have coming in, or just being able to show a really reliable cash flow. So let's just talk about one thing that comes up frequently here before we sign off. Uh, people are often questioning, like, you know, the bank seems to want all this other stuff. And let's just be clear on a couple of things they don't take any risk. <laughs> like people seem to think that lending, they take, they, they have a certain amount of risky lending they'll do. No, <laughs> they, they, as far as they're concerned, again, if you want an egg, where's your chicken? That's what we want from you. So that's the first piece. And then the last piece is you may have a good relationship with you, but they're not your friend. And, you know, when on countless occasions, and I'm hearing this even more now with everything going on, you can have a great relationship with them for years and years and years. And then if your business starts to go sideways, oh, we can't help you. It's, 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 sorry about that. No. The biggest complaint that I hear from business owners is exactly that is when I didn't, when I really needed it, you wouldn't give it to me. And when I didn't need it anymore, and you were off. Right. So it's, a, it's, it's the biggest pet peeve for business owners that I, that I found. Yeah, no, and it's uh, it's unfortunately something that uh, most business owners only discover when it's the worst possible time. So this is another reason why I encourage uh, people to deal with independence wherever possible because that's a different relationship than the actual lender. That's one that is not based upon, oh, look, you didn't meet our, you know, we have this checklist and you didn't meet this one box this month. So such is life. Anyway, Sheldon, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to come on and giving us some background on kind of the basics of issues and types of debt that exist uh, to business owners and some guidance. Uh, where can people find you? Uh, it's great to talk to you as well. And you can find me at www.sheldon, S-H-E-L-D-O-N, bro, B-R-O-W, looks like brow.com, or 902-440-2663. Excellent.
Thank you. And thank you yet again for taking the time to listen to Financial Planning for Canadian Business Owners. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. And as, as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever is your podcast. Until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals, business owners, and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. For more episodes, go to jasonperera.ca. You can even ask Surrey, Alexa, or Google Home to subscribe for you.